Well, we have made it to the last of our four core values. We're going to begin this morning talking about our fourth core value that we have here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And without a doubt, we have saved the most important value for last. And in case you hadn't noticed it, let me point out that there's a progression in these four core values that move us to this value, number four, which is unquestionably, undeniably, the most clearly stated mission and purpose for every Christ follower and for every church that's given in the entire Bible. Our fourth core value that we will never ever stop doing and which will be at the heart of everything that we purpose and plan to do is that we witness as a way of life. That we as God's children, that we as a church witness as a way of life. This is the ultimate expression of our bringing faith to life as we regularly share our faith with people that we know and meet as we live out our faith in day Today, life. Witnessing as a way of life. Surely you can begin to see this progression that's here that as we grow and mature in our walk with Christ. That we worship, that we walk, that we work, and then that we witness. Four key words. You've seen them, seen them on your bulletin, and now you're beginning to understand the, the terms and the thoughts behind these four simple words. Uh, but these four words are designed and aimed at helping us live the full and abundant life that Jesus promised and to help us follow God's call for our lives individually and for us as a church corporately. Worshiping God personally is our starting point that means that we know that we walk in a day-to-day, close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ through the regular practice of the spiritual disciplines. From there, we talked about walking with other believers, that we experience biblical fellowship, community, in relationship with other believers. As we invest our lives in the lives of other people, and we care for one another, and we express the brotherly love the Bible talks about. We just finished up talking about working for God's kingdom where we use the gifts, the spiritual gifts and the skills and the talents and the abilities that God has given us for his work and for the expansion of his kingdom. And then as we do these three things, we walk with Christ, we walk with other believers and we serve God, there's this fulfillment, there's this joy, there's this hope that fills our lives and we can't help but share with others and bear witness to what Christ has done in our lives and what it means to us to know him and to live and walk in relationship with him. And then we invite others to experience what we have come to know personally in our journey and our relationship with Jesus Christ. So do you see that progression and that that process there that that we mature in Christ and we begin to do these things in our lives? Do you see it? Okay, this means yes, this means no. Do do you see it? All right, this is the the nod of recognition. Okay, yeah, I got that. We we worship, we walk, we work, and we witness. And and here's the, the thing, that when you experience this unspeakable joy of leading someone to faith in Christ and they give his or her uh, life to Christ and begin walking in that faith journey, what do they need? I mean, what are the next steps for them? Well, what they need to know as a a new believer and and as a babe in Christ is they need to know how to 
worship God personally and walk in relationship with him and the importance of being with other believers and then working for God's kingdom and then sharing their faith so that they can lead others to Christ just as Jesus designed it all the way back in the New Testament. So this is how our church puts the Great Commission into practice where Jesus told us to go and make disciples. This is our discipleship strategy to do what Jesus told us to do. And so speaking of the Great Commissions, the Great Commission, turn with me there to Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be our focal text for this morning. These words, these very important words from Jesus at the very end of his ministry on earth, just before he was going to ascend into heaven, he gave us these very, very important words, these marching orders, if you will, for the church. Now, you may have memorized the Great Commission as Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. But personally, I think it's important that we go back to verse 16 to see and understand the power and the significance of the words in verses 19 and 20. So go back with me to verse 16 where it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So the first thing we see from right here in verse 16 is that if we're going to get in step with God and we're going to share our faith and witness as a way of life, we need to be available. We need to be available to be used by God. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples several times over a period of 40 days before he ascended back into heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 6 tells us that Jesus one time appeared to over 500 of his followers at the same time during that 40-day period. Now the gospel writers didn't record by saying, and this is where Jesus appeared to over 500 of his followers at one time, but most scholars say that this appearance right here on the mountain in Galilee was probably the time that this took place. Because the 11 would have had to travel several days to go to this mountain. And as they traveled, people saw them all together and probably kind of fell in and said, Hey, where are you guys going? What are you doing? Is there going to be something miraculous? Are you going to see Jesus and what's going on? So they probably drew this crowd that kind of followed them to this mountain. But regardless of how many were there, the point is this, that Jesus had told his disciples where to be, where to go, And they had listened to that instruction, and they obeyed Jesus' words. They were getting in step with God, and they were... And they were where Jesus had told them to be. And in uh, chapter 28 of Matthew 18, after the women found that the tomb was empty, Jesus told those ladies to go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So they were told to go to this mountain and wait for Jesus. They didn't know what was going to happen when they arrived, but Jesus told them to be there, so they went. Well, this morning, as we get started in this area of witnessing as a way of life, I feel like we need to define a couple of terms. They're probably familiar to many of you, but I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page, that we have the same understanding about these terms as we move forward today and in the next couple of weeks. First is this term, these words, the gospel. You've probably heard that and say, well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means simply, literally, good news. The gospel means good news. Well, what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus died as a substitute for all men to pay the price for our sins. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
and that a perfect spotless lamb uh, had to die as a sacrifice for those sins. And so Jesus died for our sins to pay our penalty. And so when you hear about sharing the gospel with others, it means that we share the good news with them that Jesus died to pay the price for their sins so they could be forgiven of their sins. That's what the gospel itself means. Being saved is a second term that you may hear quite a bit. And that means to be saved from spending eternity separated from God in eternal torment and punishment in hell. Because the Bible clearly teaches that hell exists and that those who do not place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and are forgiven uh, for their sins through his death on the cross will spend eternity in hell as punishment for those sins. The Bible clearly teaches this truth. And so when we talk about someone being saved, it means they've been saved from, they've been rescued from that eternal punishment. And a term that's closely connected to that is the term of salvation. Uh, and it's often used interchangeably. Salvation being the act of being saved or the process whereby which we can be saved. So we'll say that someone needs to receive the gift of salvation. That is that Jesus died on the cross for them. So they receive the gift of salvation. Once they do, then they are saved. And so salvation is this way that they are saved and rescued from spending eternity in hell. The third term is that of witnessing. Witnessing is a term that refers to believers, those who have already placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, telling others what Jesus has done in their life. It's a very simple term, and yes, it's the same witness term that we think of in a court of law, that if you are called to witness to an accident or, or as a character reference for something, then you come and you testify to tell the truth and you speak as to what you saw, what you heard, what you've observed in a situation. So witnessing is telling others what a difference Jesus Christ has made in your life what it was like when you were saved and what it's been like to walk in, journey, in a journey and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you invite other people to place their faith and their trust in him as well. So that's what it means uh, to witness uh, and to tell others about Jesus Christ. The words evangelism or outreach are often used interchangeably with the word, uh, the term witnessing. And if you look and see the word gospel in Greek, I think I put it there in your notes, the euangelion. If you look and see, that's really evangelism is a word taken straight from the Greek into English. And so it could be called good newsism is what evangelism is, but good newsism doesn't sound as smooth as evangelism. So we took the word uh, that means good news and the process of telling and sharing the good news is evangelism. And outreach means we, we go out and we reach out to people in order to be able to share Christ with them and invite them to place their faith and their trust in Christ. So some terms that are very familiar to many of you, and you may be sitting here going, why in the world did he just walk us through this, this list of terms that, that most of us are familiar with and have heard for many years of our lives if we've ever been in church? Well, I did that because you need to understand these terms in order to know why being available is so very important for you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. God's plan for spreading the gospel is for believers his children, those who know him and walk in relationship with him, you and me, to go and to witness and to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ and what a difference he's made in our lives and then invite people to place their faith and their trust in him. That is God's plan 
for evangelism and for reaching the world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is up to you and me. There is no plan B. It's our task. It's our responsibility. And here's the thing. The Bible clearly teaches that salvation is a work of God. From start to finish, salvation is a work that only God can do. I will not save anybody. You will not save anybody. Only Jesus Christ will save people. Salvation is a work of God. In John chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' words, not mine, that he is the only way that people are going to have a relationship with God. And in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God begins this work in our heart and he moves and he speaks to our heart. He convicts us of our sin and we realize our need for Christ and we come to him because of the work of God that's taking place in our heart and in our spirit. We don't wake up one day and come to our senses and go, I think I need to be saved today. I think I may go and find out how to do that. We are spiritually dead, the Bible tells us. We don't think those thoughts unless God begins that work, that conviction, that work in our heart to realize our need for him. Because the Bible says we are blinded to that truth. We can't see it unless God opens our eyes and allows us to see our need for salvation and how we can be saved through Jesus Christ. So all of this meshes with the idea of being available because of this. Everything I've described thus far about salvation, that God provided salvation, he begins to work in people's heart and draws them to him so that they can give their lives to him, that takes place in the heart and the spirit of another person. Well, how do we know when God is doing that work in a person's life? We don't know. We cannot tell simply by looking at someone. I mean, if you're out in public and you see a lady with a belly like this, you generally think, oh, she's pregnant, okay? So, so you, you can tell outwardly, oh, that lady's pregnant. There is no outward symbol to know that God is working in a person's heart and person's life. We cannot see and observe that. We have to trust the Holy Spirit and his promptings and his leadings and his guidings to lead us to those people in whom God has been working. Are you following with me here? So if we're going to be available, God's working in people's heart and his lives, and God will speak to us. And God will say, I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to do an act of kindness. Send somebody an email. Write them a card. Call them and ask them how you can pray for them and tell them that you've been praying for them. Go to their desk and sit down and say, hey, how are you doing today? Are things okay? God will will give these gentle, quiet whispers to your heart and to your spirit. And you need to respond to those things. That's what it means to be available because you don't know what God may have been doing in their heart and their life to prepare them for that exact moment when they'll say, you know what? Man, it's amazing that you're here because I really do need somebody to talk to. This is going on and, and I've been wrestling with this and, and I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know where to go next because God has prepared that heart for that exact moment when you're there. In Acts chapter 8, An angel told Philip this, go south to the desert road that goes down from Gaza. And it says this, the very next sentence. So he started out 
And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. So here's Philip. An angel says, go down this road. Start this way. Didn't give him a destination. Just go to the south down this road. So Philip takes off and he goes down this road and he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. He's an official in the Ethiopian court. What Philip didn't know is that this man is in Israel because he's been in Jerusalem worshiping. And he's on his way back to Egypt. And it tells us that he's reading the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So then the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip goes to this chariot. He's on his way, as the angel had told him. Now he goes to this chariot and he stands there and he hears this guy reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip says, do you know what you're reading? And the guy says, well, how can I? And so Philip begins to teach and talk with him about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who's written about in the book of Isaiah. Long story short, the man gives his life to Christ and is baptized right there on the spot. All because Philip heard from the Lord. This prompting. Go south on the road that goes to Gaza. And do what? Am I hitchhiking? Do I need to take my chariot? You know, am I going to get a camel? What? What am I supposed to do here? Just go south on the road that goes from Gaza. Go stand by that chariot. What if it has an alarm on it? What if his guard stabs me with his spear because I'm too close to the chariot? You know, I mean, all these questions and doubts, but Philip obeyed. He was where the Lord had told him to be. He was available for God to use him to lead this man to Christ so that he could be saved and baptized there that day. You don't know what God may be doing in the lives of other people, so you need to always be available so God can guide and direct you in his will to the people in whose hearts and lives he has been working. Be available. Well, back in Matthew chapter 28, when the disciples got to the mountain, they saw Jesus, and Matthew writes this in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, the 11 at this point were all confirmed believers, so this reference isn't to the 11 disciples, but probably most likely to some in that group of 500 uh, who were with them. But I want you to note from this what we've talked about in this progression of our spiritual growth through these uh, four values and our walk with Christ and discipleship is that personal worship fuels evangelistic fervor. Our personal worship fuels evangelistic fervor. I spent three weeks talking about worshiping God personally, so I'm not going to add anything here. But I will state this, that when you are close to Christ, your burden for the lost grows stronger. The closer you draw to Christ, the, the, the greater is your burden for those who do not know Christ. When you are close to Christ, your boldness in sharing your faith is stronger. But when you begin to drift away from, your, from Christ and your personal relationship and your personal walk with him, you are more susceptible to temptation and to sin that will quench your burden for the lost. And it will, it will hinder your boldness in sharing the gospel message of Christ. Because when you are distant from Christ, the very second you think about witnessing and sharing your faith with someone, Satan will be on you like, chicken on a, like a chicken on a June bug telling you with all kinds of guilt and shame and saying, how in the world can you think about telling somebody else about Christ and what he means to you? Because you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you're not going to church. Look at you, look at the sin that's in your life. You think you're good enough to tell somebody else about Jesus? There's no way. You just zip it. 
and sit still. They don't want to hear about Jesus because he, ha- he hasn't made a difference in your life. What makes you think he can make a difference in their life? You ever been there? You ever walked down that path? I'm telling you, Satan will do that every time. And the best antidote for, for squelching those things when he whispers those things in your ear is staying close to Christ, walking in that close, intimate relationship with him. When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped. He is Lord. He's here. He's risen from the dead. And it fueled them. It propelled them into what Jesus was going to tell them to do. And in verse 18, Jesus begins this time of instruction. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God gave his authority to Jesus Christ because Jesus had been faithful in following God's will and dying as a substitute for the sins of all men. And these words simply remind us that we should obey Christ because he has been given the authority by God himself to tell us what to do. So if we're going to get in step with God, we must respect and obey the authority of Jesus Christ. We must respect his authority, and then we must obey that authority. Several years ago, I was on my way to see my parents, and I topped a hill on this road that I was traveling, and I saw the buses starting to come down the hill, and I knew they were going to make their way up onto the road that I was on from the largest high school in the county. I'd graduated from this high school, so I knew the drill. In just a short uh, couple of minutes here, or even seconds, a police officer was going to step out, stop traffic both ways, and allow all of these buses to make their way onto the street, onto the street and begin taking kids home uh, in, in the afternoon. And I knew this was at least a 10-minute wait, and so I whispered a prayer, Oh, Lord, please let me get through before they stop traffic. Well, I must have had sin in my life because I was the first car in line to get stopped. And I was real happy about it. I was, I was excited that I was going to sit here for these few minutes. But that officer stepped out, and he held up his hand, and then he turned, and he started waiting for the buses to make their way up the, the street and begin making their turn. And I'll admit, I sat there in those few seconds before the buses came up that hill, and I thought this. I can get past him before those buses get up here. And he has to stay and hold the rest of the traffic. He can't get in his car and come chase me because he needs to let the buses out. He's probably not going to shoot me because all those kids would be watching, and that would be a real you know, media nightmare. And so flashes of Smokey and the Bandit, you know, and, and the Dukes of Hazard, because I am from Kentucky, you know, that was all playing out in my mind. Had all these thoughts. But you know what I did? I sat there, and I waited for all of those buses, and I waited for him to finally look at me in motion for me to get moving, and then I continued on my way. And you know why I did that? Not because he was bigger than my car, that he was faster than my car, or stronger than me and my car as he stood there in the street. Maybe it was because I knew his radio was faster than my car to call his buddy up the road and say, hey, get this guy in the the maroon intrepid. But really, I sat there because of the authority of that police officer. Because that city, that county, and the state of Kentucky had given him the authority to stand in that street and to tell traffic to stop so that those buses could get on the streets that day. 
And had I violated that and wanted to take this on the appeals all the way to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court and appeal this decision that it was unfair for him to stop me that day, I would have lost because he had been given the authority of our nation through our state and that city and that county to be able to stop traffic and let those kids get out on the road that day. And so I obeyed his authority that day. And had I not obeyed his authority, I would have had to deal with whatever consequences or citations or incarceration or whatever would have come as a result of disobeying the authority of that police officer. Jesus has been given all authority, he says, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we must respect that authority. I mean, there is no higher source of authority than God himself. And God gave his authority to Jesus to be able to tell us what to do. And so when we hear his instructions and we know what it is that Jesus tells us to do, we should obey that authority. So if we are going to get in step with God and witness as a way of life, we need to cultivate our personal relationship. We need to be available, and we must respect and obey the authority of Christ. And I've said all of this because Jesus is about to say something important. And we need to hear clearly what Jesus is about to say. And then because of who he is and what he has done and the authority that he's been given, we must do what Jesus is about to say. And he doesn't give a suggestion or a recommendation. This is a command that Jesus is about to give. And it's a very clear command. He says in verse 19, Therefore, or basically, since I have been given this authority, therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Bam! There it is. Go and make disciples. I walked you through earlier how our four core values are the strategy, our strategy for discipleship. How we make disciples, which Jesus right here clearly tells us to go and do. We worship, we walk, we work, and we witness. Our strategy for discipleship. And you may be thinking, okay, I see discipleship here in, in verse 19, but where's this evangelism part that you're talking about? Well, evangelism in the Great Commission is twofold. First, you can't make disciples and teach someone how to be a disciple of Christ until they are first saved, until they give their life and surrender their life to Christ. So it goes to, to reason that they need to be saved first because the word disciple means a follower or a learner. So if they're going to be a follower or a learner of Jesus Christ, they need to have a relationship with him first. But secondly, the call to evangelism and even the methodology for evangelism uh, is described here for us in verse 19 with one simple word. This is amazing how, how God is able to do this. He can give us one word that gives us so much information. The word go in the Great Commission. Therefore, Jesus says, go. That word go is in the voice, it's in the Greek language, it is a present, meaning in the here and the now, real time, real life situation, in the moment of what you are doing all the time. Okay, not just church-related stuff or when you're here on campus for worship, but in the present, in, in whatever you are doing all the time, it is a present 
It is active, meaning something that you do, you actively engage and, and do this in your life. So it's present here and now all the time. It is active that you are doing, and it is a participle. And a Greek participle is a form of a verb that acts as an adjective. It describes, it clarifies, it gives us instruction about other verbs in the sentence. And in this sentence, there are three participles which describe the main verb. The main verb is make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And then he gives us three words that tell us how to make disciples. Those three words, these action words, are going, baptizing, and teaching. Jesus said, make disciples. Well, Lord, how are we going to do that? By going by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he would say, and by teaching them all that I have commanded you. And present active participles could be translated as you are, as you are going, be doing these things. And so that's why we have this value of witnessing as the way of life. In the next two weeks, I'm going to flesh this out a little bit more, and we're going to look at some implementation strategies from our church that will help us both individually and corporately put this value into practice. But the command is clear. There's no way around this call and this command from Jesus Christ that we are to be witnesses for him in everything that we do. Present, active, in everything that we do, we are to be seeking uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ in hopes that God, as he's working in their lives, might draw them into his family and as part of his kingdom. Well, I want to land this plane this morning with just a couple of short application points from this text. First, cultivate your relationship with Christ. Cultivate your relationship with Christ. I simply cannot understate the importance of this principle. I've said it over and over again, and I will continue to say You need to walk in close fellowship with Christ because it fuels every other thing in your spiritual life. Is your daily personal growth and walk with Jesus Christ. Secondly, be available. Be available. In verse 19, I told you that the word going there could be translated as you are going. So everywhere you go, in everything you do, listen for the Holy Spirit's voice. And when he directs you to do something, no matter how absurd or, 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 or crazy it may be, or no matter what objections may come into your mind as to how people are going to respond or what they might say or what they may do, obey that whisper, that prompting, that leading of the Holy Spirit. You never know when the prompting that God lays on your heart will perfectly coincide with the work he's doing in the heart and the life of another person that'll draw them to Christ and to placing their faith and their trust in him to be saved. Third, regularly pray for witnessing opportunities. Regularly pray for witnessing opportunities. I've talked before about the priority of prayer. But one thing that we should do is regularly ask God to open doors for us to share our faith. Because when we're regularly praying for God to open those doors, we are much more alert when God does open the doors and give us opportunities to share our faith with other people. Several years ago, I was at a family get-together at Christmas. 
And one of my cousins started talking to me about the church uh, where I was serving and, and just being a pastor in general and, and ministry and what it was like uh, doing that. And, and I answered the questions and we talked a little bit and then the conversation moved on to something else. And on the way home, the Holy Spirit brought that conversation to my mind and convicted me that I had missed an opportunity to share the gospel. And I felt terrible because as we had talked with my cousin who, who, to the best of my knowledge, is not a believer, I treated the conversation and talking with them as I would about a football game or about how the kids were doing in school or something like that. I, I just did not focus and think about the opportunity uh, to pursue where they were at spiritually and what God was doing in their life. And the Holy Spirit, I just seemed to whisper to my heart, Curtis, I opened the door that day. This was the time that I wanted you to talk to your cousin and be able to share the gospel. And I missed it. I wasn't alert. I wasn't paying attention. And the more you're praying for God to open doors and to give you opportunities, the more sensitive and alert you are when God does open the door and begins this conversation. You say, oh, God's working here. I'm going I'm to try and test this doorknob and open the door and see how far they're open and receptive to hearing the gospel today. So regularly pray for opportunities to share your faith. Uh, number four, pray for lost people by name. Pray for lost people by name. Keep a short list of people that you know personally and regularly and consistently pray for their salvation. We've talked about this work of God in people's hearts that I spoke about a few minutes earlier. And your prayers impact that work that God is doing in their life. It prepares their hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit as God responds and answers your prayers. And I've given you space in your note sheet this morning to write down just five names. Hopefully, and probably you know more than that, but just at least five, write the names of those individuals down and begin to pray that God would prepare their hearts to hear the gospel message. Whether it's you having the opportunity to share that or God bringing another believer into their life, whatever the case may be, just pray that God would prepare their heart for hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And finally, I would encourage you this morning, cultivate relationships. Because the call to evangelism is so clear uh, and it's to be done as you are going, be intentional about building relationships with people everywhere you go. I'm talking about relationships with your neighbors, relationships with your coworkers. Think about businesses that you frequent. We're creatures of habit, and you may have the same uh, gas stations that you, attend, that you stop at. So talk to the attendants and the people who are working there. You frequent restaurants and, and talk with your servers and ask them, hey, we're going to bless our food here in just a moment. Is there something that we can pray about for you and for your family? And just begin cultivating these relationships and, and, and seeking opportunities that you might be able to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about people that you see regularly at the gym or, or parents that you're with uh, at, at the soccer field or with your kids' sports or their other extracurricular activities. You're around these parents and you have that opportunity to, to step outside and, and build these relationships and be able to uh, seek the Lord's direction and maybe sharing Christ with those individuals. As we come to our invitation this morning, you may need to give your life to Christ so that you can be saved and begin your journey and your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never confessed and admitted your sin and believed that Jesus died on the cross for you and then, and then invited him to forgive you of your sins and, and to give you the gift of eternal life, then I want to ask you as our invitation begins in a few moments to stand and, and do something brave. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seats and make your way down these aisles. Come to one of our pastors who are available down front and tell them that you want to be saved, that you want to know that you are one of God's children. 
We would love today to rejoice and celebrate with you in that decision, which will change your life and your eternity. So if you've never done that, that is priority number one for you today. Others of you may want to come and spend some time at the altar this morning simply praying to God. Maybe you need to confess your your disobedience to this command to share your faith or just a ho-hum attitude that's, well, I know I need to and I've gotten lazy about that and I've not been intentional in building relationships or I've not made the most of opportunities. And you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of that and to be more sensitive to those opportunities that he sets before you. Or maybe you want to come and and simply pour out your heart and ask God to pray or, or to move in the lives of these people that you just wrote down the blanks. And so our altar is always open and you can come and you can ask God to do that and ask God to use you to be this witness for other people, knowing in advance that God is going to answer that prayer because at the end of the Great Commission, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So God will be with you and will give you that strength and that courage to do those things.